It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Merry meet, little woman fans. Today's comment shout-out goes to Michael Serra's official, who writes, Who's ready for some spice, relatable little woman content? I can't believe that people were angry that Joe and Lori didn't end up together. I read that book countless, countless times, and I never once took issue with it. It is so obvious to me what their relationship is, and God, he was not right for Joe in the long term. Every single reason she gives him that she can marry him is valid, and I love her so much. Also, Bear is perfect for her, and I honestly always loved him and their relationship, and apparently people have problems with their age difference. Get the hell out of here if you ever saw their relationship as anything but loving and cute. Also, I read some stuff where people are like, Oh, I loved Lori less as I grew up. And holy shit, can't relate. That boy is still a goddamn literally hard rock. End quote. Louisa and Henry had a 16 years age difference. And Joe and Friedrich have 16 years age difference. Now the reason why I say that in pretty much every episode because... Obviously, people like to complain about it. Louisa May Alcott could have very easily written Friedrich to be the same age as Joe, or just a few years older. But no, it's the exact same age difference, which shows that the author's love life appears in Little Woman in Literal Disguise. So there really is an explanation for everything. If you guys want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Podcasting Little Woman and a Little Woman channel on YouTube. I will read you something that I recently wrote. There's a whole chapter in Little Woman 2019 Film Guide where Gerwig said that she wanted to make the umbrella scene overly romantic in order to make mockery of the novel. That is why millions of people buy her fake narration of the story that Joe should have been single, spinster or to be with Laurie. I personally find it incredibly unethical, combine that with her racist quote on Friedrich's nationality, and even here in Finland we got newspaper headlines that Greta Gerwig shows how marriages in Little Woman are a joke. You'll find internet filled with these headlines, 2019 film was heavily promoted with them. As everyone should know, Friedrich is based on Alcott's first love, philosopher Henry David Thoreau, and Laurie on her ex, Ladislas Wisniewski. In her journals, Louisa writes about her belief of reuniting with her loved one in the afterlife. Henry had a habit to carry an umbrella. In the novel, Frederick tells Joe that he is going to the West. In one of the Alcott studies, West was presented as a metaphor, as a time and place that divides Alcott of her loved one and only can they reunite again in death. For example, in Moods, the first Louisa May Alcott novel, Henry and Louisa metaphorically reunite again when Sylvia and Adam die together. In work, Louisa May Alcott's last novel, they reunite once again once Christie and David marry, and he passed away in the war, and she subsequently believes that they shall meet again in the afterlife. Louisa May Alcott believed in reincarnation and that we live multiple lives. In her journals and letters, she writes about receiving her, quote, award in the next life. 
It's pretty harrowing stuff, but also goes to show how incredibly lonely Louisa May Alcott was in reality and that is not something to make fun of. Not even if you are a 21st century filmmaker. Quotes on Louisa's loneliness, desire to marry, to find love, and her thoughts on reincarnations can be found, for example, from, from Caroline Tickner's biography of May Alcott and collected letters between Louisa May Alcott and Maggie Lukens. They also include markings from her diaries and I highly recommend to read them. I sound like a broken record here. Uh, to me, it just felt like Garrick was making fun of the real-life events that led into writing this novel. Thing is, in the 1994 film and the 2019 film, when Laurie drinks or flirts with other women, and also in the 2017 miniseries when he is self-indulging, they represent him in a way that he is sulking after Joe has rejected him, and we are supposed to feel sympathy for him. But the thing is, in the novel, Laurie behaved like a fuckboy years before Joe rejected him. There is a scene in the novel that always kind of stuck with me. Laurie is like, what the sisters don't know won't harm them. And then he goes to play pool and smoke. Then there are scenes where Joe is rather repulsed by the things he does. There are also scenes where Laurie gets these warnings from his school headmaster. If you do one more prank, you're out of here. Laurie really wasn't that into school. Joe doesn't like his behavior. In the book, when Laurie finally snaps out of that behavior, thanks to Amy, that is way more powerful. People ask me all the time why we don't see this in the films. I don't know. You need to ask that from the filmmakers. At least then you would see that one of the March sisters has a good effect on him, and it's not Joe. Back to the umbrella. It is a whole chapter in Little Woman the novel. Somebody sent me a comment that they really like Joe and Fritz in the book because the umbrella chapter goes so deep into the inner world of the characters. Joe is madly in love with him, but she is afraid that he is going to turn her down. In the 19th century social culture, you were kind of looked down if you were flirting with someone or if you would express personal feelings very openly to another. Even though that Joe and Frederick know that they love one another, it takes some time for them to tell that to each other. And it is not overly romantic. They are in the middle of the street when the love confession happens. And I think it also shows how Joe has had a feeling that nobody is going to love her. She has almost given up the hope that that would happen. And it's like what Emily said earlier in this podcast that in a way Joe creates her own loneliness. She believes that nobody is going to love her because of the way she is. This poem that Friedrich has found from a newspaper that Joe has written it is based on an actual poem that was written by Louisa May Alcott in 1965, if I remember correctly, but it has a different ending. She gives love to others, but there is nobody who loves her back, and the only thing that is left is work, but that does not fulfill her. It makes her feel even more lonely. But the ending in Joe's poem is different. Love comes together with the summer rain. If you want to listen to those two poems and my analyze on them, it's in the episode The Real Life Rated Bear. The only adaptation that includes the poem is the 2017 miniseries. I personally like the poem a lot more than Frederick bringing Joe's novel. I think they use that in the films to speed up things. I like the poem more because we get this deeply personal connection to Louisa May Alcott's inner world. And you can see how she gave Joe the things that she wanted to herself. And I have always loved the Under the Umbrella chapter. I found it very moving. When I have read Alcott's biographies, they often mention that Louisa fell in love 
once or twice in her life, and one of my friends said that when you read Under the Umbrella chapter, you know that that was written about someone who she was in love with, and I couldn't agree more. This is Small Umbrella in the Rain, Little Woman Podcast, dramatic reading of Under the Umbrella. While Lori and Amy were taking conjugal strolls over velvet carpets as they set their house in order and planned a blissful future, Mr. Bear and Joe were enjoying promenades of a different sort along muddy roads and sodden fields. I always do take a walk toward evening and I don't know why I should give it up just because I often happen to meet the professor on his way out, said Joe to herself after two or three encounters, for though there were two paths to Max, whichever one she took, she was sure to meet him either going or returning. He was always walking rapidly and never seemed to see her till quite close, when he would look as if his short-sighted eyes had failed to recognize the approaching lady till that moment. Then, if she was going to Max, he always had something for the babies. If her face was turned homeward, he had merely strolled down to see the river and was just about returning unless they were tired of his frequent calls. Under the circumstances, what could Joe do but greet him civilly and invite him in? If she was tired of his visits, she concealed her weariness with perfect skill and took care that there should be coffee for supper as, quote, Friedrich, I mean Mr. Bear, doesn't like tea. By the second week, everyone knew perfectly well what was going on, yet everyone tried to look as if they were stone blind to the changes in Joe's face. Never asked why she sang about her work, did up her hair three times a day, and got so blooming with her evening exercise. And no one seemed to have the slightest suspicion that Professor Bear, while talking philosophy with the father, was giving the daughter lessons in love. Jo couldn't even lose her heart in a decorous manner, but sternly tried to quench her feelings, and failing to do so, had a somewhat agitated life. She was mortally afraid of being laughed at for surrendering after her men. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. And vehement declarations of independence. Lori was her especial threat, but thanks to her new manager, he behaved with praiseworthy propriety. Never called Mr. Bear a capital old fellow in public. Never alluded in the remotest manner to Joe's improved appearance or expressed the least surprise at seeing the professor's hat on the marches hall table nearly every evening. But he excalded in private and longed for the time to come when he could give Joe a piece of plate with a bear and a ragged staff on it as an appropriate coat of arms. For a fortnight the professor came and went with a lover-like regularity. 
Then he stayed away for three whole days and made no sign of proceeding, which caused everybody to look sober and show to become pensive at first and then, alas for romance, very cross. <laughs> Disgusted, I dare say, and gone home as suddenly as he came. It's nothing to me, of course, but I should think he would have come and bid us goodbye like a gentleman, she said to herself, with a despairing look at the gate as she put on her things for the customary walk, one dull afternoon. You'd better take the little umbrella, dear. It looks like rain, said her mother, observing that she had on her new bonnet, but not alluding to the fact. Yes, Marmy, do you want anything in the town? I've got to run in and get some paper, returned Joe, pulling out the bow under her chin, before the glass, as an excuse for not looking at her mother. Yes, I want some twilled silesia, a paper of number nine needles, and two yards of narrow lavender ribbon. Have you got your thick boats on, and something warm under your cloak? I believe so, answered Joe absently. If you happen to meet Mr. Bear, bring him home to tea. I quite long to see the dear man, added Mrs. March. Joe heard that, but made no answer except to kiss her mother and walk rapidly away. thinking with a glow of gratitude in spite of her heartache. How good she is to me. What do girls do when they haven't any mothers to help them through their troubles? The dry goods stores were not down among the counting houses, banks and wholesale ware rooms where the gentlemen most do congregate, but Jo found herself in that part of the city before she did a single errand, loitering along as if waiting for someone examining engineering instruments in one window and samples of wool in another with most unfeminine interest, tumbling over barrels, being half smothered by descending bales and hustled unceremoniously by busy men who looked as if they wondered how the deuce she got here. A drop of rain on her cheek recalled her thoughts from baffled hopes to the ruined ribbons, for the drops continued to fall, and being a woman as well as a lover, she felt that, though it was too late to save her heart, she might her bonnet. Now she remembered the little umbrella, which she had forgotten to take in her hurry to be off, but regret was unveiling and nothing could be done but borrow one, or submit to a trencing. She looked up at the lowering sky, down at the crimson bow already flecked with black forward along the muddy street, then one long lingering look behind at a certain creamy warehouse with Hoffman, Swartz and Go over the door, and said to herself with a sternly re reproachful air, It serves me right. What business had I had put on all my best things and come feeling daring down here, hoping to see the professor? Joe, I am ashamed of you. Now you shall go there to borrow an umbrella, or find out where he is from his friends. You shall slop away and do your errands in the rain, and if you catch your debt and ruin your bonnet, it's no more than you deserve. Now then. With that she rushed across the street so impetuously that she narrowly escaped an irritation from a passing truck, and precipitated herself into the arms of a stately old gentleman who said, I beg pardon, madam, and looked mortally offended. Somewhat daunted, Jo righted herself, spread her handkerchief over the devoted ribbons, and putting temptation behind her.
hurried on with increasing dampness about the ankles, much clashing of umbrellas overhead. The fact that somewhat dilapidated blue one remained stationary above the unprotected punnet attracted her attention, and looking up she saw Mr. Bear looking down. I feel to know the strong-minded lady who goes so bravely under many horse noses and so fast through the much mud. What do you do down here, my friend? I'm shopping. Mr. Bear smiled as he glanced from the pickle factory on one side to the wholesale height and leather concern on the other. But he only said politely, You have no umbrella. May I go also and take you for the bundles? Yes, thank you. Joe's cheek were red as her ribbon and she wondered what he thought of her. But she didn't care, for in a minute she found herself walking away arm in arm with her professor, feeling as if the sun had suddenly burst out with the uncommon brilliancy, that the world was all right again, and that one truly happy woman was battling through the wet that day. We thought you had gone, said Cho hastily, for she knew he was looking at her. Her bonnet wasn't big enough to hide her face, and she feared he might think the joy of it betrayed unmaidenly. Did you believe that I should go with no farewell to those who have been so heavenly kind to me? He asked so reproachfully that she felt as if she had insulted him by the suggestion and answered hardly, No, I didn't. I knew you were busy about your own affairs, but we rather missed you. Father and mother especially. And you? I'm always glad to see you, sir. In her anxiety to keep her voice quite calm, Cho made it rather cool, and the frosty little monosyllable at the end seemed to chill the professor, for his smile vanished as he said gravely, I thank you, and come one time more before I go. You are going then. I have no longer any business here. It is done. Successfully, I hope said Joe, for the bitterness of disappointment was in that short reply of his. I ought to think so, for I have a way opened to me by which I can make my bread and give my younglings much help. Tell me, please, I like to know all about the boys, said Joe eagerly. That is so kind, I gladly tell you. My friends find me a place in a college where I teach as at home and earn enough money to make the way smooth for France and Emil. For this I should be grateful, should I not? Indeed you should. How splendid it will be to have you doing what you like and be able to see you often. And the boys, cried Joe, clinging to the lads as an excuse for the satisfaction she could not help betraying. Ah, but we shall not meet often, I fear. This place is at the west. So far away. And Joe left her skirts to their fate as if it did not matter now what became of her clothes or herself. Mr. Bear could read several languages, but he had not yet learned to read woman. He flattered himself that he knew Joe pretty well, and was therefore much amazed by the contradictions of voice, face, and manner, which she showed him in a rapid succession that day, for she was in half a dozen different moods in the course of half an hour. When she met him, she looked surprised, though it was impossible to help suspecting that she had come for that express purpose. When he offered her his arm, she took it with a look that filled him with a delight. But when he asked if she missed him, she gave such a shilly formal reply that despair fell upon him. 
On learning his good fortune, she almost clapped her hands. Was the joy all for the boys? Then on hearing his destination, she said, So far away, in a tone of despair that lifted him onto a pinnacle of hope, but the next minute she tumbled him down again by observing, like one entirely absorbed in the matter, Here's the place for my errands. Will you come in? It won't take long. Joe rather prided herself upon her shopping abilities, and particularly wished to impress her escort with the neatness and dispatch with which she would accomplish the business. But owing to the flutter she was in, everything went amiss. She upset the tray of needles, forgot the Silesia was to be twilled till it was cut off, gave the wrong change, and covered herself with confusion by asking for lavender ribbon at the calico counter. Mr. Bear stood by, watching her blush and blunder, and as he watched, his own bewilderment seemed to subside, for he was beginning to see that on some occasions, women, like dreams, go by contraries. When they came out, he put the parcel under his arm with a more cheerful aspect, and splashed through the puddles, as if he rather enjoyed it. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On the whole, should we not do a little what you call shopping for the babies and have a farewell feast tonight if I go for my last call at your so pleasant home, he asked, stopping before a window full of fruit and flowers. What will we buy, said Joe, ignoring the latter part of his speech, and sniffing the mingled odors with an affection of delight as they went in. May they have oranges and figs, asked Mr. Bear, with a paternal air. They eat them when they can't get them. Do you care for nuts? Like a squirrel. Hamburg grapes, yes, we shall surely drink to the fatherland in toast. Joe frowned upon that piece of extravagance and asked why he didn't buy a frail of dates, a cask of raisins, and a bag of almonds, and done with it. Whereat Mr. Bear confiscated her purse, produced his own, and finished the marketing by buying several pounds of grapes, a pot of rosy daisies, and a pretty jar of honey, to be regarded in the light of Demijohn, then distorting his pockets with the knappy bundles and giving her the flowers to hold, he put up the old umbrella and they travelled on again. Miss March, I have a great favour to ask of you, began the professor. After a most promenade of a half a block, yes, sir, and Joe's heart began to beat so hard she was afraid he would hear it. I am bold to say it, in spite of the rain, because so short of time remains to me. Yes, sir, and Joe nearly smashed the small flower pot with the sudden squeeze she gave it. I wish to get a little dress for my Tina. And I am too stupid to go alone. Will you kindly give me a word of taste and help? Yes, sir. And Joe felt as calm and cool as all of a sudden as if she had stepped into a refrigerator. Perhaps also a shawl for Tina's mother. 
she is so poor and sick. And the husband is such a care. Yes, yes, a thick warm shawl would be a friendly thing to take the little mother. I'll do it with pleasure, Mr. Bear. I'm going very fast and he's getting dearer every minute, added Jo to herself. Then, with a mental shake, she entered into the business with an energy which was pleasant to behold. Mr. Bear left it all to her, so she chose a pretty gown for Tina, and then ordered out the shawls. The clerk, being a married man, consented to take an interest in the couple who appeared to be shopping for their family. Your lady may prefer this. It's a superior article, a most desirable color, quite chaste and genteel he said, shaking out a comfortable grey shawl and throwing it over Joe's shoulders. Does this suit you, Mr. Bear? she asked, turning her back to him and feeling deeply grateful for the chance of hiding her face. Excellently well, we will have it, answered the professor, smiling to himself as he paid for it, while Joe continued to rummage the counters like a confirmed bargain hunter. Now shall we go home, he asked, as if the words were very pleasant to him. Yes, it's late, and I'm so tired. Joe's voice was more pathetic than she knew, for now the sun seemed to have gone. As suddenly as it came out, the word grew muddy and miserable again, and for the first time she discovered that her feet were cold, her head ached, and that her heart was colder than the former, fuller of pain than the latter. Mr. Bear was going away. He only cared for her as a friend. It was all a mistake, and the sooner it was over, the better. With this idea in her head, she held an approaching omnibus with just a hasty gesture that the daisies flew out of the pot and were badly damaged. That is not our omnibus, said the professor, waving the loaded vehicle away and stopping to pick up the poor little posies. I beg your pardon. I didn't see the name distinctly. Never mind, I can walk. I am used to plodding in the mud, returned Cho, winking hard, because she would have died rather than openly wipe her eyes. Mr. Bear saw the drops on her cheeks, though she turned her head away. The sight seemed to touch him very much, for suddenly stooping down, he asked in a tone that meant a great deal, Heart's dearest, why do you cry? Now, if Cho had not been new to this sort of thing, she would have said she wasn't crying, had a cold in her head or told any other feminine fib proper to the occasion, instead of which that undignified creature answered, with an irresistible sob, because you are going away. Oh, my God, that is so good, cried Mr. Bear, managing to clasp his hands in spite of the umbrella and the bundles. Joe, I have nothing but much love to give you. I came to see if you could care for it, and I waited to be sure that I was something more than a friend. Am I? Can you make a little place in your heart for old Fritz? He added, all in one breath. Oh, yes, said Joe, and he was quite satisfied, for she folded both hands over his arm and looked up at him with an expression that plainly showed how happy she would be to walk through life beside him, even though she had no better shelter than the old umbrella, if he carried it.
it was certainly proposing under difficulties, for even if he had desired to do so, Mr. Bear could not go down upon his knees on account of the mud, neither could he offer show his hand, except figuratively, for both were full. Much less could he indulge in tender demonstrations in the open street, though he was near it. So the only way in which he could express his rapture was to look at her, with an expression which glorified his face to such a degree that there actually seemed to be little rainbows in the drops that sparkled on his beard. If he had not loved Joe very much, I don't think he could have done it then, for she looked far from lovely, with her skirts in deplorable state, her rubber boots splashed to the ankle, and her bonnet a ruin. Fortunately, Mr. Bear considered her the most beautiful woman living, and she found him more Jove-like than ever, though his hat brim was quite limp with the little reels trickling thence upon his shoulders, for he held the umbrella all over Joe, and every finger of his gloves needed mending. Passers-by properly thought them as a pair of harmless lunatics, for they entirely forgot to hail a bus and strolled leisurely along, oblivious of deepening dusk and fog. Little they cared what anybody thought, for they were enjoying the happy hour that seldom comes but once in any life, the magical moment which bestows youth on the old, beauty on the plain, wealth on the poor, and gives human hearts a foretaste of heaven. The professor looked as if he had conquered a kingdom, and the world had nothing more to offer him in the way of bliss, while Joe trudged beside him, feeling as if her place had always been there, and wondering how she ever could have chosen any other loft. Of course she was the first to speak intelligibly, I mean, for the emotional remarks which followed her impatience, oh yes, were not a coherent, reportable character. Friedrich, why didn't you, oh heaven, she gives me the name that no one speaks since Mina died, cried the professor, pausing in a puddle to regard her with grateful delight. I always call you so to myself. I forgot, but I won't unless you like it. Like it? It is more sweet to me than I can tell. Say too also, and I shall say your language is almost as beautiful as mine. Isn't too a little sentimental? asked Joe, privately thinking it a lovely monosyllable. Sentimental, yes. Thank God, we Germans believe in sentiment and keep ourselves young with it. Your English, you, is so cold. Say too, heart's dearest. It means so much to me, pleaded Mr. Bear, more like a romantic student than a great professor. Well then, why didn't you tell me all this sooner? asked Joe bashfully. Now I shall have to show thee all, all my heart, and I so gladly will, because two must take care of it hereafter. See then, my Joe. Ah, oh, the dear funny little name. I had a wish to tell something the day I said goodbye in New York, but I thought the handsome friend was betrothed to thee, and so I spoke not. Would to have said yes, then, if I had spoken? I don't know. I'm afraid not, for I didn't have any heart just then. Truth. That I do not believe. It was asleep till the fairy prince came through the wood and waked it up. Ah, well, the erste Liebe is the beste, but that I should not expect. Yes, the first love is the best, so be contented, for I never had any other. Teddy was only a boy and soon got over his little fancy, said Joe, anxious to correct the professor's mistake. Good, then I shall rest happy and be sure that that you kissed me all. I have waited so long. I am grown selfish as to will find Professorine. I like that, quite Joe, delighted with her new name. 
Now tell me what brought you, at last, just when I most wanted you. This, and Mr. Bear took a little worn paper out of his waistcoat pocket. Joe unfolded it, and looked much abashed for. It was one of her own contributions to a paper that paid for poetry, which accounted for her sending it, an occasional attempt. How could that bring you? She asked, wondering what he meant. I found it by chance. I knew it by the names and the initials. And in it, there was one little verse that seemed to call me. Read and find him. I will see that you go not in the wet. Joe obeyed and hastily skimmed through the lines which she had christened in the garret. Four little chests, all in a row, dim with dust and worn by time, all fashioned and filled long ago by children, now in their prime. Four little keys, hung side by side, with faded ribbons, brave and gay, when fastened there with childish pride, long ago, on a rainy day. Four little names, one on each lid, carved out by a boyish hand, and underneath their light hit, histories of the happy band, one playing here and pausing off to hear the sweet refrain that came and went on the roof aloft in the falling summer rain. Make on the first lid, smooth and fair, I looked in with loving eyes, for folded there with well-known care, a godly gathering lies, the record of a peaceful life, gifts to a gentle child and girl, a bridal gown, lines to a wife, a tiny shoe, a baby curl. No toys in this first chest remain, for all are carried away, in their old age to join again, in another small makes play, a happy mother, well I know, you hear like a sweet refrain, lullabies ever soft and low, in the falling summer rain. Joe, on the next lid, scratch and worn, and within a motley store, a headless dolls of school books torn, birds and beasts that speak no more, spoils brought some from the fairy ground, only trod by youthful feet, dreams of a future never found, memories of a past still sweet, half-writ poems, stories wild, April letters, warm and cold, diaries of a willful child, hints of a woman early old, a woman in a lonely home, hearing like a sad refrain, be worthy of love and love will come, in the falling summer rain. My bed, the dust is always swept, from the lid that bears your name, as if by loving eyes that wept, by careful hands that often came, that canonized for us one saint, ever less human than divine, and still we lay with tender plaint, relics in this household shrine, the silver bell so seldom rung, the little cap which last she wore, the fair dead Catherine that hung, by angels born above her door, the song she sang without lament, in her prison house of pain, forever out there sweetly blent, with the falling summer rain. Upon the last lid's polished field, legends now both fair and true, a gallant knight bears on his shield, Amy in letters gold and blue, within the snoots that bound her hair, slippers that have danced their last, faded flowers laid by with care, failures and shames, the record of a maiden heart, now learning fairer, truer spells, hearing like a blight refrain, the silver sound of bridal bells, in the falling summer rain, four little chests all in a row, dim with dust and worn by time, Four women taught by weal and woe to love and labor in their prime. Four sisters parted for an hour, none lost, one only gone before. Made by love's immortal power, nearest and dearest evermore. 
Oh, when these hidden stories of ours lie open to the Father's sight, may they be rich in golden hours, deeds that show fairer for the light, lives whose brave music long shall ring, like a spirit stirring strain, souls that shall gladly soar and sing, in the long sunshine after rain. J.M. It's very bad poetry, but I felt it when I wrote it one day when I was very lonely and had a good cry on the rack back. I never thought it would go where it could tell tales, said Joe, tearing up the verses the professor had treasured so long. Let it go. It has done its duty, and I will have a fresh one when I read all the brown book in which she keeps her little secrets, said Mr. Bear with a smile as he watched the fragments fly away on the wind. Yes, he added earnestly. I read that, and I think to myself, she has a sorrow. She is lonely. She would find comfort in true love. I have a heart full, full for her. Shall I not go and say, if this is not too poor a thing to give, for what I shall hope to receive, take it in God's name. And so you came to find that it was not too poor, but the one precious thing I needed, whispered Joe. I had no courage to think that at first heavenly kind, as was your welcome to me, but soon I began to hope, and then I said, I will have her if I die for it, and so I will, cried Mr. Bear with a defiant nod, as if the walls of mist closing round them were barriers which he was to surmount or valiantly knock down. Joe thought that was splendid, and resolved to be worthy of her knight, though he did not come prancing on a charger in a gorgeous array. What made you stay away so long, she asked presently, finding it so pleasant to ask confidential questions and get delightful answers that she could not keep silent. It was not easy, but I could not find the heart to take you from that so happy home until I could have a, a prospect of one to give you. After much time, perhaps, and hard work, how could I ask you to give up so much for a poor old fellow who has no fortune but a little learning? I'm glad you are poor. I couldn't bear a rich husband, said Joe decidedly, adding in a softer tone, Don't fear poverty. I know it long enough to lose my tread and be happy working for those I love. And don't call yourself old. I never think of it. I couldn't help loving you if you were seventy. The professor found that so touching that he would have been glad of his handkerchief, if he could have got it, as he couldn't show wipe his eyes for him, and said laughing, as she took away a bundle or two, I may be strong-minded, but no one can say I am out of my sphere now, for woman's special mission is supposed to be trying tears and bearing burdens. I'm to carry my share, Frederick, and help to earn the home. Make up your mind to that, or I'll never go she added resolutely as he tried to reclaim his load. We shall see. Have you patience to wait a long time, Joe? I must go away and do my work alone. I must help my boys first, because even for you, I may not break my word to Mina. Can you forgive that and be happy while we hope and wait? Yes, I know I can, for we love one another, and that makes all the rest easy to bear. I have my duty also, and my work. I couldn't enjoy myself if I neglected them, even for you. So there's no need of hurry or impatience. You can do your part out west. I can do mine here. And both be happy, hoping for the best and leaving the future to be as God wills. Ah, to kiss me such hope and courage, and I have nothing to give back but a full heart and these empty hands, cried the professor, quite overcome. 
John never, never would learn to be proper, for when he said that, as they stood upon the steps, she just put both hands into his, whispering tenderly, not empty now, and stooping down, kissed her Frederick under the umbrella. It was dreadful, but she would have done it if if the flock of draggle-tailed sparrows on the hedge had been human beings, or she was far gone indeed, and quite regardless of everything but her own happiness. Though it came in such a very simple guise, that was the crowning moment of both of their lives, when turning from the night and storm and loneliness to the household light and warmth and peace, waiting to receive them with a glad welcome home, Joe let her love in and shut the door. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.